When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's high-tech studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Whether you're watching or listening, live or archived, we are so glad you could join us today. We're recording on Wednesday, September 18th, and we are going to reflect upon the first three weeks of the Hokies football season with a bye week on the horizon and discuss the hiring of Coach Jerry Kill. Our crew today, we've got Malcolm, yes, he's related Stewart, behind the scenes producing on the podcast set, our founder and head honcho, Will Stewart, and our managing editor, Chris Coleman. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Guys, uh, I want to start with you, Will. I want to, uh, uh, for those... Now, now, wait a minute. We have to thank our sponsor. Oh, I was going to... Okay. <laughs> well, this week and every week, the TSL podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm, dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 30,000 people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031 or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. So, sorry to throw you for a loop there. No, that's all right. But, but you welcome. know, you got to give the sponsor love early. And if you start talking to me, I might talk for a while. <laughs> so, let's get him in there before well, I start talking. Un- understood. I, I want to, um, for those viewing, I, I want to uh, address the uh, the elephant in the room and, and make sure you are okay. For those that the are listening. The bandage on the hand. There's a bandage on the hand. Are you doing okay? And uh, it's been an eventful 24 hours for you. Yes. So my friends know this. I told all my friends, but I haven't told TSL Nation yet that uh, I was in a car accident yesterday. A pretty serious car accident um, from the standpoint that it totaled my car. Uh, um Many of you know that I, I drive a drove. It's past tense now. I drove a, a 2016 Mazda Miata. Um, if you want to make it sound manly, I drove a 2016 Mazda MX-5. Um, and it was, uh, it was a very special car. It was, one, it, it was the year that they redesigned it. And uh, the, the first thousand that they made, um, they called the launch edition. They did it with uh, tan interior, red exterior, beautiful car. They did some badging on it and stuff like that. So I had one of those first thousand. So it was a pretty unique car. And, uh, you know, the, the whole time I've owned it, they're so small that I've thought to myself, you know, you need to, you need to act like you're dri- riding a motorcycle. You know, motorcycle drivers will tell you, um, act like you're invisible. Drive like people can't see you. And we'll pull out in front of you, be, de- be very defensive and all that stuff. And I haven't really had much of an issue with that in the four years I owned the car. But yesterday I had an issue. Uh, a guy in a pickup truck didn't see me. He was looking in the other direction, trying to pull out from somewhere. You know, I don't want to bore you with the details, but he was pulling out from somewhere and was preoccupied with quite a bit of traffic coming from the other direction and didn't see me coming from my direction, coming out of the sun all by myself. So he pulled out in an effort to go across my lane and get into the other two lanes. And this happened over in the Fairlawn area of Radford and he never saw me and he accelerated into me. So that's the end of the Miata. Now, everybody's like, Oh my gosh, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm fine actually, except for one thing. And people told me yesterday, they're like, Oh, you're going to be sore tomorrow. Nope. Really not sore today. The only thing that's bugging me is a broken hand because the airbag deployed and broke a bone in my finger. And I'd, you know, I'd read over the years about stuff that airbags do to people. You know, you just read articles here and there. And and it happened to my, my own brother, like back in 2008, he was in an accident and the airbag deployed and broke his hand. And so that's what happened to me. It was one of these deals where it was a, yeah, we were probably... You know, we hit at a 45 degree angle. It wasn't head on. Um, and 
he had probably sped up to about 25 or 30 and was accelerating. I slammed on the brakes and was probably at that point doing about 30. So you're talking 30 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour, pretty serious collision. And yes, the airbag does need to deploy in that case, but it wasn't needed. Um, so it's one of those things where I'm kind of ranting today. I'd be fine if it wasn't for the airbag. Now, the reason we're talking about this is this is a big deal. There's a broken bone in the index finger of my left hand and I can't type. And it's our busiest time of year when we're just getting flooded with emails. We're interacting on the boards. I'm writing a column every Monday that's 3,000 to 4,500 words. And that's just uh, very difficult to impossible to do if you can't use the index finger on one of your hands. So I don't know what we're going to do here. And, and people have said, well, get some, get some uh, voice-to-text transcription software. I love using, uh, I've got an Android phone. I love using Google to do voice-to-text when I'm texting people. When I have to say 50 words and I know what I'm going to say, it's great. And a lot of emails will be like that. You know, they're really not that long. But when you're trying to compose an article that is thousands of words long, it's just not something where voiced to text is going to be a huge help. I don't know. I'll try it because I got a job to do. So it's, uh, you know, the, so the reason we're putting out there, this out there publicly is I don't want sympathy. I don't want advice. I've already got a lawyer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it, it will impact my ability to do my job, to answer your emails, to interact with you on the boards and to write articles. Uh, it's not imp impacting my ability to talk on the podcast, clearly. <laughs> so so maybe we should just go Monday all. Thoughts will be a podcast next week. Well, you know, that's not. <laughs> that's what I was of, thinking. I mean, it's hey. not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, I've, I've got a, uh, a, a, a cam. What it, a, well, well, I mean, just record it and make it for subscribers only. You know, uh, don't do it live. And just, right. Uh, so, you know, these are things we've got to think about. It just happened yesterday. And, and well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you are okay. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure TSL fans across the boards are glad yeah, you're okay. So I'm, we're glad you're... I'm bumming about the car. I mean, yes. it's just a car, but this car it was, was a beautiful different. Car. Yes. And, and it was unique from the standpoint that it's one of a thousand made, um, which doesn't make it entirely unique. But around here, yes, it was unique. I've, I've never seen another launch edition around in this area. And I told my wife yesterday, I'm like, you know, yeah, I'll get another car. By the way, I'd, I'd, I'm not going to get another one of those. When you see a pickup truck coming at you in one of those, it makes you not really want to be in that scenario ever again. You know, I've, I've, <clears throat> I've totaled three cars in my life now, three cars in the last 20 years. Only one of them was my fault. The other two people, uh, one of them was at that big intersection at the New River Valley Mall. Somebody just ran a red light and T-boned me. I was driving a Honda Accord. And in this case, I also saw the accident coming. And there is nothing like what goes through your mind when you see a really bad accident coming. When you're in a little tiny car and there's a pickup truck accelerating right at you. And I just, I'm not a, I don't believe in living your life in fear, you know? But I think it's probably prudent that I not drive a tiny car anymore. You know, uh, my, my wife told me last night, she's like, maybe you should just get a huge pickup truck. It's what everybody else has got. And so, you know, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Uh, that was a car that I really enjoyed owning. And they are a blast to drive. It's like driving a go-kart. And and everything about that car, the, the, the whole... Uh, the, the music system on it and the, the driver interface, it was all amazing, but it's all gone now, you know, so we'll see where it goes from here. So anyway, I wanted to get that out there so people know that it's uh, something that's going to affect my ability to do my work over the next four to eight weeks, probably. I'm, I'm like Coach Fuente. I don't, I don't know when I'm coming back, you know. <laughs> I'm not telling you. <laughs> I, I, have an ex I, have an, a, a, I have an injury to my extremity, and we don't know when I'm coming back. <laughs> Chris Coleman, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? It's good to see you again. Good. Well, listen, we're fired up. we got a great podcast on tap today, and we'll be talking about the first three weeks of Virginia Tech football. We'll be discussing Coach Jerry Kill being hired, and uh, we'll also maybe at the end touch on basketball recruiting at the end because there is a big recruit that Virginia Tech is going after that is set to make his decision in a couple of weeks. Again, the Tech Sideline podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm. We begin the podcast today by discussing the news that happened literally right after we signed off the podcast on Monday morning. 
morning. That is Virginia Tech head coach Justin Fuente bringing in former Minnesota head coach Jerry Kill as a special assistant to the head coach. It is a role that was created specifically for him. Chris, I will start with you. What do you think of the hire, and what do you make of the timing of the hire? Uh, the timing is something that uh, I think I think it would have happened whether we were two and one or three and zero oh or whatever. I mean, how long does it take to get through human resources at Virginia Tech? Two or three weeks, probably. You know, I I don't know. Uh, not not to not to hijack the discussion, but this always comes up whenever they're hiring coaches or whatever. Oh, why is it taking so long? Um, sometimes it takes a long time and people talk about what it takes to get through you know the the process at a state institution mm -hmm. and then you've got deals like where Whit babcock talks to uh buzz williams on the phone for a week and the next thing you know he's hired of course all we were presented with that day was a letter of intent not, not truly being hired that's correct so, right uh, so I've, I've never quite understood how all of that applies so anyway go yeah, ahead. yeah so um so it's possible that this was deal was done two to three weeks ago uh, and it was you know it's it's not a reactionary hire as, a, as in oh we played horribly against Furman and Fuente calls him up on Sunday and says hey, hey come be my special assistant okay and then they announce it the next day and we need to get that out right there right because it's, it's not a reactionary thing it was something that they had been working towards since August since before the season started yeah if, if you haven't had a chance to read anything uh, coach coach Fuente had Let's call him Coach Kill. He had Coach Kill in last summer. To he, Kill came into town and observed practices. I mean, this has been an ongoing discussion for what, weeks. Right. Whether we looked great and were three and zero, and whether we looked mediocre at two and one, this hire was happening. Is the way I see it. Is the way it sounds. Um, the other thing I want to point out is, you know, there, there are some people out there who believe that even with the buyout, that there was a chance Justin Fuente was going to get fired at the end of this season. And not very many of them, but, but there are some. And this hiring shows that that's 0% chance that's going to happen. Um, they just signed Jerry Kill to a two-year contract at 175000 per year. You would not sign somebody like that to a two-year contract and just commit yourself to an extra $175,000 buyout if you were even remotely entertaining any uh any 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 thoughts of firing the head coach so uh so let's get out get that out there too um as far as the hire itself uh i like it i, I think uh i think it's becoming fairly common like buzz williams i'd never thought about it until buzz williams was was the coach at virginia tech and he said i'd like to have head coaches on my staff especially older head coaches, Former head coaches like yeah. Dell layer you know yeah. guys who uh guys who have been around for a long time and seen every possible scenario that that can be thrown at a head coach um so he always had at least one of those guys on his staff sometimes two uh like he had Rockefeller and layer at one point i think um so he always likes to have at least one of those guys on his staff uh fuente had one of those guys on his staff at memphis Nick Saban has always got Offensive one or two or three. Right, yeah. right. I mean, the, he's got – who's on his staff? Butch Davis is on his staff right now. No, Butch Jones. Butch Jones, Butch one Jones, of those yeah. Butches. Butch, <laughs> Butch Jones is on his staff right now. Um, he had Steve Sarkeesian at one point as an offensive he, he assistant. Did. I remember his offensive coordinator was uh, Lane Kiffin, right? Yeah. Are we, are we talking about Saban? I, I was yeah, yeah, watching yeah. the game yeah. on the yeah, we, we were uh, <laughs> We were talking about Saban. And uh, Major Applewhite, who was the head coach yeah. at Houston – uh, is now on the staff at Alabama. Dabo Swinney's got the former head coach at South Carolina on Brad's his staff. Kind of, yeah. um, so it's becoming more and more common. And, so, I, I, and I think it's – So let's get into that a little bit. You know, sorry to interrupt. But, um, you know, when, when Alabama and Clemson first played for a national championship four years ago, I 2016, think. 2016, I believe. Something like that. Um, there, there was an article that ran on – I think it was CBSSports.com about the support staffs that those two programs had. And, you know, that was that was a model that Saban introduced to college football in the late 2000s, you know, hiring these enormous staffs to help with recruiting and, and evaluation and breaking down film and game planning and all that stuff. Not actual coaches, just support staff. But it didn't really start coming to light until about 2016. And that's when people started looking at it. And, and I wrote an article for Tech Sideline at the time where I went to the Alabama website and the Clemson website and they list everybody there. And. You know, these are staffs of 10 to 15 
not interns out of college, people who have, as Chris was talking about, have actually coached football, some of them as head coaches. And Tech at the time had a support staff, but it tended to be younger people. You look at Saban's staff, and it's a bunch of guys making one hundred to 200000 a year because those are the salaries they command because they're experienced football people. They're not just $35,000 just got out of school grads who are doing graphics. You know, not to insult the people that do that work. I'm just saying one of these things is not like the other. You can have a staff close to the size of Clemson and Alabama's, but, you know, what's what's the makeup of that staff? So, you know, this is a way that, that programs that decide to allocate their resources that way have separated themselves from the rest of them. Again, we're uh, recording on Wednesday, September 18th as the Tech Sideline podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. I want to continue the discussion of Virginia Tech hiring Jerry Kill. His a title is special assistant to the head coach. So, mm-hmm. Chris, what does that title mean and how is it different for being an actual coach on even though he is a coach on staff a position coach on staff what's different uh, he'll just watch practice evaluate film consult with the coaches etc cetera, etc cetera. I, I think the role will expand as the season goes on I think and Brad Cornelson alluded to this yesterday and kill himself I listened to a radio interview in Illinois he said it also his first priority is giving advice for the running game uh, taking a look at Virginia Tech's concepts, formations, personnel, things like that, and offering suggestions on how they can make the running game better. Um, so that will be priority number one. Uh, as The longer he's here, the more his role will expand. You know, he'll get to watch practice. He'll get to see how Virginia Tech's days are structured. Um, he, he can evaluate the personnel uh, you know, he can even evaluate the assistant coaches for Justin Fuente. You know, he, this is a guy who has coached, been a head coach in, in multiple levels, Division Two, FCS, FBS. And I'm not suggesting that this is definitely going to happen or anything, but he could sit down with Justin Fuente at the end of the season and say, okay, th- th- this coach you got coaching this position, he's probably on the same level of the coach I had coaching that position when I was at Southern Illinois. Uh, you, you you need to you need to because he's got at experience this. at, at three right, levels right, yeah. right at different levels right, as, as a head coach at different levels so uh, I, I think just having a guy like that in there is is beneficial um, so I, like I said I, I think I think they've talked about what the role will will encompass but I think they'll end up you know like, like everything. Once they get into it, they'll end up talking about things that maybe they didn't even think about they, they were going to talk about. So I think the role will expand the longer he's here. So one one thing they, to my knowledge, I kind of had a busy day yesterday, um, so I might have missed some things. But to my knowledge, at no point did anybody say Coach Kill is going to help us find the next defensive coordinator. No, 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 nothing like that. Right, correct. But if but. you've got a brain and you think about yep. it, he, he might play a big role in that. So put yourself in Justin Fuente's shoes. He's come up through, uh, what was it, Southern Illinois, Memphis. Yeah, he's got some ties to the TCU program and that sort of thing. So he has a certain sphere of experience and and people that he's met Mm -hmm. and interacted with. And coaches always like to hire people that they've either worked with or worked against or that they already know. And no matter who you are, that group of people is a little limited in size. Excuse me. Um, Coach Kill has encountered a whole bunch of other people. And Fuente's midseason, he's got a job to do. He doesn't necessarily have the time to spend a lot of time thinking about who's my next defensive coordinator going to be. So I, I think Jerry Kill's going to be – I think he's going to play a big role there um, to really – kind of look at the landscape of things and and provide some advice on who should be next in that so to follow up on that question because it has been discussed on the boards and given his experience jerry kills a former linebacker himself in his playing days is there a chance that jerry kill is the next defensive coordinator for virginia tech defensive yes no i like like, yeah no i like chris he hasn't been a defensive coach since the 80s um so zero percent chance but you know when you look at justin fuente's background he was he was the offensive coordinator at TCU, and so yes, TCU is in the Big Twelve now. But where were they in the Mountain West when he was there? Could be. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't a Power Five conference when he was there. Uh, and then he was at Memphis, which was AAC. 
So Fuente, until he got to Virginia Tech, had never coached in a Power Five at a Power Five school, at least not while they were in a Power Five conference. Yeah. Um, Kill just spent four and a half years as head coach at Minnesota. So he came across. He went head to head with a lot of different Power Five coaches. There's a lot of good coaches in the Big Ten. Yeah. I might have said Big Twelve before. I don't remember. But uh, but so it just. It's, it's going to bring up some more names that maybe J- Justin Fuente hadn't thought about or didn't know existed or, or whatever, and it's going to give him more information about more guys. Yep. Again, we're discussing the hiring of Jerry Kill and his involvement with the Virginia Tech program on the Tech Sideline podcast. And, and we also me. don't believe that Jerry Kill is here to ultimately replace Brad Cornelson. No, we don't uh, believe that either. No, we don't believe that either uh, because he was the mm-hmm. offensive coordinator mm-hmm. at Rutgers two years ago and resigned for health reasons after a year because he had a seizure maybe a day or a day after one of their September games that year. Yeah, just, you, you know, and you can't afford – and I think he knows this at this point. You know, if he's the offensive coordinator, he's up there in the booth calling plays. You know, what, what if he has a seizure during the game? Then who takes over play calling right in the middle of the game? Right. Something like that. So, I don't think that's a situation where he's going for. And, he, and I, when I listened to his radio interview yesterday, uh, he basically said – you know, this keeps me involved with football, but it's a low-stress job. Not only that, but he's not going to come under any criticism, you know. Offense, oh, absolutely. Offense coordinators are just the most beat-up guys. In, in, sure. In They're always a scapegoat for everything. Oh, for everything. It's always the play call, and it's, it's all, always the yep. offensive coordinator. Um, while we do have some time, that's the beauty of the bye week coming up. We can kind of go in-depth in some areas that we might not have time for in a podcast leading up to a game. We bring up, you know, Bud Foster retiring at the end of the year. What is that process going to be like? We kind of talked about it after the podcast off the air, but is that something you think that Coach Fuente has given any thought to right now, or is that something he's literally going to wait until the end of the year before he even starts to consider it? I, I don't know. Um, I think part of it is you don't know who all is going to be available. I'm sure he's got some names in his head where he said, man, yeah, I, I think I could work with that guy. But – you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, his, his defensive coordinator at Memphis was, was Barry Odom. And Odom is the head coach at Missouri right now. And Missouri has done a nice job since Odom has been there. But they started off this season losing to Wyoming. Then they beat West Virginia. I don't know what they did in their third week. But, you know, point being, if they have a bad year, you know, what if he got fired? And then all of a sudden he's available for defensive coordinator. But, you know, you don't know whether he would get fired or not until – December 1st. Yeah, I don't know right? how long he's been there. I don't know what the mood of the family right, is. Right, right, right. So, and, and Chris is right. That wouldn't even happen until early December. Yeah, so I don't think – yeah, you want to you, – you've put some thought, some names in your head now and everything, but you don't have time to do anything as a head sure. coach, man. You, yeah. You're, you're, you're busy hiring Jerry Kill. You're busy trying to get your team better during the bye week. You're busy trying to beat Duke. So so this entire industry, Tech Sideline, we, we always do the, the cute – change stuff around, playing stuff differently, that's done in the offseason. Yeah. Once the season starts, if you are coaching or playing or covering, man, you're just you're on the treadmill and you're going at it. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things that, uh, that makes this situation, and I go back and forth with these conversations in my mind, that makes this situation a little difficult is Fuente's about to wrap up his fourth year. Um, if a staff is being rolled over at a school and a whole new staff is being hired, then a guy coming in as defense coordinator thinks, great, I'm coming in with a new head coach. We're going to get three, four, five years to put our stuff in place and recruit our guys. Fuente's going to go looking for a defensive coordinator in, in his fourth year of coaching. And what if – and this is a defense coordinator looking at this job opportunity and thinking, hmm, that head coach has been there four years. We don't know what the record's going to be like this year, so we can't really make that part of the discussion. What if things turn poorly and he's let go next year? Then I'm stepping into this job for a year. Um, so it's not a it's not a smooth. Uh, I can't find the words I'm looking for. It's 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 a little dicey from that respect. And then the other side of me says. You know, coordinators are used to that. Most of them only have two-year contracts anyway. Uh, most, a lot of them may, might only have one-year contracts. It wasn't it unique at Virginia Tech when uh, when Weaver used to sign the assistants to two-year contracts? The the position coaches, the position. I believe, yes. Okay, okay. Like coordinators, I think, were, were more used to having maybe okay. two-year contracts. 
Now Bud's got this this big contract. Bud's Bud. Bud's a unique yeah, situation. You know, so, so the flip side of that argument is that coordinators are kind of used to that deal where it could all go south after just a year or two. You yeah. know, you just never know. Now, the reason I bring up that process is obviously it's a little bit different from a head coach to a coordinator, but you go back to when Coach Beamer retired midseason, it certainly gave, I'm sure, the athletic department and Whip Babcock a little bit of an extra uh, advantage than other schools having a little bit of extra time. So didn't know if having a full year, would that be an advantage for Virginia Tech or what it sounds like is it might just be a normal process regardless of when Coach I mean, I, I don't think it hurts for sure. Well, in that scenario, but, Wit's flying solo. Um, in this scenario where you're hiring a coordinator, Witt has to work with the head coach. Right. So they're different from that respect. Right. Yep. It's a great point. Again, we're talking about Virginia Tech football getting ready for its first bye week on the Tech Sideline podcast. We're recording on Wednesday, September 18th in the morning. It's brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. Let's transition to this. Bye week. Uh, there's two bye weeks this year, which is something that is new uh, compared to. Which I think is great. I'm really pleased about You that. want to expand upon that? Like what, what, what? advantages are there to having an extra bye week so there was a uh um and i, I don't have my years down here you, you know back when they only played 11 games the teams got two bye weeks and man football is just a brutal sport you need two bye weeks now i'm not an nfl guy so help me out here but the nfl used to also have two bye weeks they did and um, for a while it used now. to be 16 games and 18 weeks did they for play at least one year in the early 90s so what yeah. do they do now do they play 16 or 17 games? 16 games in 17 weeks uh, see uh, that uh, yeah that, it is too much yeah I, i'm and and the, the interesting thing about that is uh i don't know there, there's probably a tv argument in there somewhere you know that having two bye weeks reduces quality inventory and that's probably <laughs> you know how the television industry is they drive everything but I think it's fantastic that Tech has two bye weeks. I think they need one right now. Yeah, it's you know, great time. Uh, the timing could not possibly have been yeah, better. Yeah, watching Kashawn King carry the ball 12 times and, and get dinged up, I'm glad he doesn't have to play the next four weeks. I'm glad he gets a week off, for example. So, Chris, I'll ask you this, because last year there was an unintentional bye week that led up to the Old Dominion game because of the ECU cancellation. And mm -hmm. everyone – I remember we did that podcast, and everyone's like, oh, Tech's going to have – about two weeks to prepare, to rest up, and then, of course, that happened. Not to bring up a sore subject, but I'll ask you this. What, what is so important about a bye week? How much can a team really value and get from a bye? Why, why, why is it that everyone gets to a bye week and they're so thrilled about it? Well, it gives the coaches a chance to look at film of, in this case, the first three games, evaluate, evaluate what they're doing, do a self-study. And if Jerry Kill gets here today or tomorrow or friday you know he can he can take part in this do a self-study and say man we're doing this wrong we can we can uh we can we can do this better we need to change this concept a little bit or uh oh it's too easy to read our keys if you're a defensive coach uh sometimes in the past you know the t tech coaches like they've done self-studies like, like they've had bud scout tech the tech offense and the tech offensive coaches scout bud's defense during the bye week some self-scouting during the middle of the season to pick up on trends and things like that as far as the players uh you know it's it's a couple extra days off uh, it's it's a little less mentally taxing because you're just practicing your own stuff like tech practice yesterday they'll practice again today so tuesday and wednesday they're just practicing virginia tech stuff there's no opponent to prepare for they're not thinking about the game plan this week where your alignment slightly changes based on opponents and things like that. It's a lot of stuff you have to remember uh, when, when you're facing an opponent. Uh, they don't have to worry about that for, for a few days this week. Uh, and, and it also gives you a chance to uh, sit your starters a little bit and take a look at your younger guys. Sure. And, and that was one of the advantages. That, <laughs> Although in our case, our younger guys are our starters. Yeah, they are playing a lot. Um, um and we'll get back to that in a second, but it get back it gets back to that discussion we had in the last podcast where teams that go to bowls have an advantage because they have extra practices. And one of the things that teams traditionally do with those bowl practices is they take a look at their young players, the the, the guys they're red shirting that have been on scout team all year. They kind of get them back into practice and and see how far they've come along and that sort of thing. And uh, Bud actually talked about sitting down Rayshard Ashby and uh, Dax Hollyfield and evaluating Alan Tisdale and uh, Amari Barno at the backer yeah. position and Kishon Artis at the mic position. Get so, those guys some development time, as he called it. Yeah, and, and you know, once again, Bud won another game without playing uh, Alan Tisdale once at the now. backer spot. Once now. He did, okay. And he was in on a tackle. 
Really? Yeah, good play. Yep. So he's got a hundred percent tackle rate. Uh, he was <laughs> killing the tackle. I don't know if he got any credit for it or not, right. but I saw him in there. But he was but. running around the ball. Uh, I want to also discuss, uh, with this being a bye week, maybe a couple of position groups. We talked about some individuals, but having this bye week, Chris, I'm sure that one position group that jumps out to you that they're probably thrilled to have a bye week right now is the defensive line. It just feels like a group that continues to get better each week with so many young guys. I'm sure a bye week couldn't hurt that group. Right yeah, now. sure. Um, I think guys like Mario Kendricks, Neural Pollard, Deshaun Crawford, are guys who are playing at this level for the first time, things have moved pretty quickly for them and all they've all handled it well you know text defensive tackles have not been the issue this year Uh, I I did an article yesterday and inside the numbers article where I went over their numbers compared to last year's group both in grades and in tackles for loss sacks and everything and this group is already this group through three games if you throw out Ricky Walker last year this group has already outproduced in tackles for loss and sacks in three games what last year's group did in 12 games I mean, it's it's absolutely wow. it's ridiculous. I, I'm telling you, you know, it's ridiculous what Tech put on the field from a talent standpoint at defensive tackle last year. Um, uh, you know, Ricky Walker was really good when he was healthy, um, and he was even pretty darn good when he wasn't. Healthy. Yeah, right, right. But you Turns know, other out. other than him, you know, you know, Hewitt is a rotational player. Uh, probably shouldn't have been starting last year. Probably wasn't quite ready to start last year. Uh, and but then beyond those guys, man, you, you, they had to play Vinny Mahota over 300 snaps, and the guy could barely move at that yeah. point in his career. He'd been and, so and, banged up. And we we looked at the Pro Football Focus grades at the end of the season, and uh, you know that's that severely compromised Vinny's play. He was oh, one, yes, yes, in the yes. entire ACC of players that played over 100 snaps. He was in like the bottom three. Yeah, he, the guy just couldn't play because he was he just hurt. couldn't play anymore. Yeah. He was so banged up. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Jimmy Taylor, man. There, Jimmy Taylor got in for a few plays against Georgia Tech and just got annihilated. Yeah, he you know? yeah, and even played Darius Full, Fullwood a few snaps here and there, and he He's plays for William and Mary now. now. Yeah, you know, so it was just uh, the talent level was just rock bottom. I mean, absolute rock bottom. Yeah. Um, so that group is much improved. Um, you know, I I don't know if I agree with Bud about. I want to develop Alan Tisdale, don't get me wrong, but it's not like he's behind some experienced player. I mean, Dallas Holyfield needs, still needs to be developed too, right? Yeah. Um, so, I, I think Tech has improved defensively across the board. Um, I really want to get Taiwan Garbett back, but I don't know if that's going to happen. If you read yesterday's Tech Talk Live notes. Oh, what did he say? Fuente used the phrase, I believe, if we get Taiwan Garbett back. I mean, we're, and, and he said this two weeks away from the next game. Right. You know? uh, and, and, and I think he was actually – I don't know if he was talking about the Duke game or if he was talking about it in context of the, the whole practice. season. I don't Ooh. have the quote right in front wow, of me. Okay. But But I read it and I was like, oh, man, that stinks. But at the same time, that's all I have to go on is one quote from an interview that I didn't transcribe or listen to. So I, I J- Jake transcribed it, so – I'm not saying that's 100% for sure what he said because I didn't hear him say it and I didn't I wasn't there, but I would love to get Garbutt back, but we'll see. Well, how about you? Any other position groups that you would, uh, when you look at right now having a bye week, you're happy that they get this chance to take a week off and evaluate things? Dude, offensive line yeah, for sure. Just just like the defensive tackles being thrown into the fray. Uh, you're you're playing a bunch of really young offensive linemen, and I don't know who you know. I know they do film evaluation during a regular game week, but how much and and what is it like? Um, I don't know, you know. But I but I know that without the frenzy of having to prepare for another game, to be able to sit and watch film and talk to these guys and and show them what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong, and uh, we, we talk. We talk all the time about how much Vance Vice moves the guys around in the spring and and in and in the fall. I'm pretty darn sure he's not moving them around in season. So yeah. it's a chance to watch film, talk about things, go and practice at the position you are playing. You know, um, it's it's very important that this offensive line gel throughout the season and get better. Uh, one of the things I wrote about uh, this Monday, this past Monday, was I, I didn't I didn't make this point with a big huge hammer or anything but I was thinking as I wrote it where's improvement going to come from you know uh, who's going to get better on this team and one chance to get better is the offensive line they're they're 
their run blocking, their their run blocking. These young guys not being able to get a push, hmm, that's not really going to change. They they need another off season in the weight room, but working together as a line to pass block better and pick up more blitzes and more stunts and things like that. That is an area where they can get better, and man, that that's an area where, you know, uh, as good as Virginia Tech's passing game is, Ryan Willis is getting killed. Uh, he's getting flushed a lot. He's getting hit a lot after he passes. And these are, to my untrained eye, these don't look like complex blitzes and stunts. It's just young guys not being able to pick them up. Three players on offense that are injured that need to get back. Um, Damon Hazleton. Um, I, we all admire the job Caleb Smith has done. He's done a great job. But Damon Hazleton graded out over 70 in run blocking last year, and Caleb Smith's like at a 55. Tech's wide receivers have not blocked this year. Everybody focuses on the offensive line, but the only wide receiver that's blocked anybody is Phil Patterson, by you the, know, according I, to the PFF grades. Well, I, I, he's right. I watch these things, and uh, you'll see Trey Turner get a decent block on one play and then completely whiff on the next. Yeah. And Trey's not a big physical guy anyway. Hazleton is. Right, so, so Hazleton – needs to come back and we need to play Phil Patterson more and that will make our blocking and outside receiver better if those two guys get on the field if 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 Patterson gets gets on the field more and Hazelton comes back as far as the offensive line goes I I don't know that Zach Coit is anything above like average to slightly above average player but he's he's an upgrade over would be an upgrade over brian hudson who's a true freshman brian hudson was supposed to redshirt this year as an offensive tackle and, and now he's starting in center all right there's there's no probably not that many coaches out there if any that can really overcome that, 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 that that's that's for, that's your fourth string center i'll tell you what just what simply snapping the football he's done a remarkable yeah, job absolutely yeah that, is, yeah, that I mean, has not even been an now, issue which is yeah, kind yeah, of for, for a guy with no experience at the position he's yeah. done a great job but you know as far as the actual blocking of defensive players not so great uh I have, I have, and, he, and and so from left to right it's True sophomore, redshirt sophomore, true freshman, true freshman. And redshirt he, freshman, depending it, upon whether Janzy or, or right, Tenet right. is in. So I want to get Zach Hoyt back, and I, I don't even know what his injury is. I don't know if he can come back this week. I don't know if he's out for the year or any, anywhere in between. I have no idea. Right. Um, I'd like to get TJ Jackson back. I, I don't know that he's 100% better than Doug Nestor at right guard, but I'd at least like to have the option. Right. Um, and – Tanuda needs to go ahead and start at right tackle. I would like to get uh, get have Danzy Janzy get it together and play him at right guard, which is I think what Vance Vice wanted to do in the preseason anyway. Um, then I think Tanuda apparently kind of hit a wall the last week of preseason practice, so they they didn't feel they didn't feel comfortable starting him at that point. Hmm. Uh, which is why they've probably been a little hesitant, even with Janzi's struggles, to, to to pull him to pull yeah. to pull him because Tanuda, you know, oh, he looked good throughout August, and then the last week, bam, kind of hits a proverbial freshman wall. So it's not like he's been consistent, but but he has graded out above a seventy in, in both of those games. That he's so played so in. Silas Janzi was a guard until he was put in a tackle against UVA. Is that correct? No, he was always okay. a tackle. He was always he was tackle. originally supposed to start at left tackle last year. He, uh, spring of twenty eighteen, he was starting at left tackle, and everybody assumed he was going to start at left tackle throughout August. Then you get to Florida State week, and it's Christian Darisaw starting at left tackle because Janzi had been, gotten banged up. Yeah. Well, Darisaw got in there and just kind of took the reins. But yeah, originally he was Janzi was was supposed to be a four year starter at left tackle for Virginia Tech. And is, now he's is, struggling. Is it incorrect right to me to say that he doesn't really look like a tackle to me? I mean, he's six five. It's not like he's six three, but he just doesn't look like a tackle to me. Is that fair? Um, I'm not saying he's playing out of position. I, I don't think he necessarily. I, I, in hindsight, now everything everything we know now, I don't think he necessarily looks like a left tackle. But honestly, neither is Darisaw. Look at them right next to each other. Um, Darisaw is is shorter or looks shorter and he looks smaller um just doesn't have appear to have the wide body aircraft carrier type that you want out of a left tackle um like but, but but he but he might not look the part as much as some others but he is easily virginia tech's best offensive lineman right now right. easily he, like you can't tell it takes all your offensive linemen playing at least above the average level to be able to tell when one of them's playing well so you can't really tell that darisol is playing well this year but but he's had a good year 
Okay. Um, so I, to me, that's that's the main thing the bye week is about is is getting some guys healthy and trying to get Janzy whatever issues he he has get them solved, so Vice can get his best five offensive linemen on the field because there's only. There's, there's just if, if you're starting three freshmen side by side by side on the offensive line at the power conference level, and two of them are true, are true freshmen, I mean, you can hire all the Jerry Kills in the world. <laughs> uh, you're not going to be able to block. You can anybody. call all the fancy plays right, you right. want. <laughs> that's that's just a fact of nature. You know, 18 year olds aren't going to be able to block 22 year olds. Right. That's just the way it is. Last thing before we take a timeout. After the Old Dominion game, it might have come to a surprise to some, but we saw Virginia Tech decide uh, to redshirt Devin Hunter uh, because of the new redshirt rule where you can play someone up to the first four games of the year and then redshirt. This seems like a perfect point for the coaching staff to evaluate after three games. Chris, is there anybody both sides of the ball you think that maybe could redshirt this year after seeing them three games in? I don't think so. You know, a few people talked about Dax last week after he struggled against Old Dominion. He he was all, he was better against Furman, um, and Bud's not going to redshirt that guy. Bud Bud put his heart and soul into, into recruiting Dax, and he's a team leader. And he's a team leader. And this is Bud's last year, and uh, so that's not. No, I don't I don't see that happening this year. But unless somebody gets hurt. Oh, no, no, I, no. I would. I will say this. Let's go back to the offensive line. I would still love to redshirt every true freshman on the offensive line. I'd love to redshirt Doug Nestor. I'd love to redshirt Brian Hudson. I don't think it's going to be possible, probably, to redshirt Nestor. Um, I think it's still possible to redshirt Hudson. He's played in two games. Um, I think he needs to redshirt. I, I would use this bye week to take a good, hard look at Tyrell Smith at center. Redshirt senior Tyrell Smith at center. Um, Hudson is struggling to block. I mean, you 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 can't tell me that Tyrell Smith would be a, a downgrade. Like worst case scenario, he saves Hudson's red shirt. Right? right. Best case scenario, he saves his red shirt and provides an improvement in play. Yeah. Um. So I I would so unless he just can't snap the ball. Now now that said, he's been in the program a long time. And you know, Vice has probably already looked at him. I'm sure he's already looked at him. So he's he's got a little bit of a body of work there, or, or sure. pr- practice. I'm not talking in games, right? But it's a, you know it's a good point. Uh, what about Gallo? That's a good point. I mean, the tight end room. You've got Keen. You've got Mitchell. He is a true freshman, mm-hmm. I believe. I have not looked at his snap counts from the third game. I know he played a lot on offense in the second half against Old Dominion, but I did not look. I have now, remember, if, if you if you if your rationale for not redshirting him is, is jumbo packages, well, Tanuta plays tight end in air quotes in the jumbo package, and we saw that in the second half of the ODU game. Janzi had already been pulled for performance. They were playing Tanuta at tackle. They got up on the goal line and they brought Janzi in at tackle and put Tanuta way down at the left end in the tight end position. So if you need three tight ends, you can you can get them that way without using Gallup. Yeah, but uh, Tanuta at that point was in it was wearing sixty nine though, right? He was not eligible. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, but he was there to block. If if all you're going to do is block with Gallo, then you know Tanuta can fill that role. Now, one right. thing, if you do redshirt Gallo, correct me if I'm wrong here, but next year Keen would be a senior, Mitchell would be a junior. That's right. And then there would be a two year gap right, between right. Mitchell and Gallo. I would be in favor of that. I mean, honestly, I mean, I'd love redshirting. I think I, <laughs> yeah, we've heard that a lot the last two weeks. He's been hearing it for years. So this is our fourth week doing uh-huh. podcasts, and Chris will be red-shirting the rest of the podcast. <laughs> oh, I love, I'm not kidding. I just love it. You're right. I mean, we, we heard uh, – who was the guy he was talking about? The running back from Galax. Uh, Peoples. It's Peoples. Man, oh, yeah, and he yeah, red-shirted yeah, yeah, yeah. 15. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. But he, but he probably made four tackles on special teams, so well, it was well, worth it. Here, so. Here's what I'm saying. If you want Virginia Tech to, mm-hmm. to win Coastal Division championships and compete for ACC championships and be anything on the national level at any again, any, any time again, they have to redshirt their players and go with these teams with redshirt juniors and redshirt seniors. You can't be throwing true sophomores and true freshmen out there and expect to win 10 games. That's, I mean, that's, a, that's not how Virginia Tech did it in the past. They did it by redshirting guys for the most part. Because, um, I mean, th- think about it, man. Corey Moore did not start a game for Virginia Tech until he was a redshirt junior. That's right. Right? James Anderson wasn't any good until he was a redshirt junior. 
I mean, how old are you? You redshirt junior two. You're 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 in a fourth year in the program. So, but you're like 21, 22. 21, yeah, 22. Yeah. yeah, you're a grown man at that point, right? Uh, and I'm not saying <clears throat> freshmen, true freshmen and true sophomores can't help. I mean, there have certainly been cases of that being the case, even some very dominant ones. But they've always been surrounded by redshirt juniors and redshirt seniors. Uh, throwing true freshmen and true not not the tech has any choice right now to, to a certain extent. Um, because you have to, you have to protect that bowl streak. By golly, right? That's your mandate, right? Well, so, you know, I was just thinking while you were talking. If you're a first-year head coach, yeah, you redshirt everybody and you take a hit. Mm-hmm. And uh, but when you're a fourth and fifth-year head coach, there's pressure to to start. And, and, and normally, you take a new head coach comes in. It's because the old coach got fired, right? So you didn't normally. make a bowl game the previous year anyway. So you're right. like, you know what? They're going to give me a good five years. Everybody's going to get redshirted. I'm going to build up this program the, the way I want to build it. Fuente comes in, oh, your mandate, you have to beat UVA. You have to make a bowl game no matter yeah. what. That's a great point. You know, even if you have to put Brian Hudson out there and cost yourself a very good fifth-year senior offensive lineman four years down the line, by gosh, you protect that bowl streak. Yeah. So, so I, 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 I think the bowl streak, and I'm very, very proud of bowl streak, and I'm not saying I don't want to go to a bowl this year, but I think in some ways – the bowl streak is an albatross for this program. Well, not only that, but think about it. So, so you're you're out there. Is this for anything more than recruiting? You're out there on the recruiting trail. Hey, we've been to you know, 37 straight bowls. Do recruits really care? Pretty much everybody goes to a bowl now. Right. I just don't know that it's that big of a selling point anymore. Um, that's 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 interesting because I think speaking for the fan base. Do you think there's there's a chance that the, the, the fans care more about the bowl Absolutely. streak than the program? Absolutely, and it's an impressive streak. Don't get me wrong. No, yes, almost everybody makes a bowl streak, or everybody almost makes a bowl these days. Correct. But back in the day, that when this streak started, that was not the case. Yeah, like it, it was hard, much harder to go to a bowl game back then. So there, there were only something like nineteen bowl games back then. Right when yeah. when Tech went to the Independence yeah. Bowl, it's big yes. deal. So it's it's an it's an like you couldn't go six and five and. If you went six and five, generally you probably weren't going to go. You were not going ball. Yeah, um, so it's a it's an impressive streak. Don't get me wrong, but I would literally, if it was up to me, uh, redshirt everybody. I mean, every single player and start from scratch. If I was in a vacuum and I didn't have to care about what the fans thought or anything like that, redshirt every single person would redshirt for for like the first two years I was in charge build up the talent base build up the foundation of the program but you can't do that because here at least because the fan expectations and the ball streak and well and it's, it's like how that. Jim Grobe won an ACC championship at Wake Forest he redshirted yeah, I mean I mean I've, everybody wants to talk about you know recruiting like Clemson and, and all these other schools and and no Virginia Tech needs to recruit like Wisconsin and Michigan State that's what they need to recruit like they, they need to redshirt a bunch of guys and develop them I mean, uh, and because I don't think they'll, I don't think Virginia Tech, Tech fans do not want to hear this. And I know it's an opinion, but to me, it's a fact. That is just how <laughs> I view the world. I don't think Virginia Tech will ever be able to sign on a consistent basis top 20 classes, not much less top 15 or top 10 classes. Why? Oh, my God. You got three hours? I mean, yeah, that's a whole other that, that's topic. A, that's a whole, that's whole, a whole other, other topic. Podcast. Um, yeah. but, but in short, uh, David Wilson was from Danville. No players come out of Danville for 10 years. Logan Thomas, we've had so many guys from Lynchburg in the past that were really good players for us. Lynchburg does, hasn't produced a player in almost 10 years. A bunch of guys from Southwest Virginia. Yeah, uh, there are they're, they're just very few guys. James, James Mitchell being the one few exception, but, you know, your Jake House writes, your, your um, David Pugh is from Amherst, which is outside Lynchburg. Uh, who was the other Beasley from Southwest Virginia? Yeah, Gates City. You know, even and these guys, some of them went to UVA or Notre Dame, like the Jones brothers and people like that. Justin Hamilton. So it was, wasn't just the players that were coming to Tech. The Southwest right, Virginia. Right, right. Was Just, Justin Hamilton elsewhere. was from Southwest Virginia, uh, and and quite frankly, I don't think the seven five seven is as good as it used to be. Although the the recruiting star rankings don't reflect that. Uh, the seven five seven hasn't won a state championship since twenty fourteen, so I don't think Virginia produces the talent that it produces anymore so there's that there, part of it there's certainly that part of it and then you know virginia tech they just the, the revenue thing 
It's just we don't have the money. I, I, I know for a fact that our recruiting staff is overextended. There's, there's not enough of them. Um, compared to other compared programs. Compared to other programs. Uh, and compared to the fact that instead of recruiting 50 kids at a time, you're, again, in air quotes, recruiting a couple hundred? Right, yeah, exactly. Uh, so I just uh, I, I, I've seen what's happened to other sports where there's no salary cap, right? I've seen what hap- what's happened to the European soccer leagues when money takes over. Right. And, like, the same team has won the French League seven out of the last eight years, and everybody else is, you know, there's no parity. There's no parity in any of these leagues. Um, and that's the way it's going to be in college football. So for Virginia Tech, it's it's going to be about getting the, the people that, that, fit, fit, that fit your program and fit your – culture and everything like that I, I just don't I don't think it's in the cards because to sign those highly rated guys or at least not a whole bunch of them because you know yeah Virginia Tech was built on James Anderson's these days Tech probably doesn't get James Anderson because he wouldn't be a two-star recruit these days like he was in 2001 he'd be a four-star and, and recruit. again we've we've beaten this topic we've, to we've death beaten this at topic various points to death so so, yeah. so so to me that's why it's very important that Virginia Tech redshirt as many players as possible and get as many years out of these guys well, as possible. And if that, and, and yes, I know the transfer portal hurts that. So to me, everybody wants to sign higher ranked classes. I think we get more out of signing lower ranked classes. <laughs> if but, you but do because, it right, because you, 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 would, right. you would get kids in your program that they they weren't highly recruited. You know that, that they, they, didn't, they weren't told throughout the recruiting process that they were the best things things in sliced bread and they were going to go to the NFL and blah, blah, blah. So they're, they're not all full of themselves right. and they don't immediately start looking to the transfer portal when they don't like the way things are going. Right. Yeah. Oh, you want to red shirt me? How dare you? Uh, right. right. So I, I just, everybody wants to sign higher ranked classes. The only way Virginia Tech can win a national championship is to sign higher ranked classes. Of course. Right. I'm not so sure that the best way to get back to being a consistent winning program would be signing slightly lower ranked classes because you have you have less of that you have more guys that that can that see things the way you see it so, so to speak it's tough it's not easy yeah great discussion right here guys. on yeah. this on this bi-week podcast i promised a break which feels like an hour ago I, I, so I'm not, I'm not sure that was a discussion i think that was a monologue <laughs> <laughs> well no 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 let's talk about uva i mean uva's cl- they've got a team that's made up of a bunch of guys who whose recruiting classes were like in the 60s and 70s right they're just and, a bunch of tough guys and they're you know, and again, we'll see how the season plays out. Right, but they're three and zero right now, yep. and they were picked to win the coastal. At the right. I, I was going to bring up the uh, to kind of wrap things up with doing a uh, look at the coastal. So let's do this. Let's take a timeout, and when we come back, we'll wrap things up. We'll get to your questions on Facebook. This is the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than thirty thousand criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at fisherlegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, class of 98. Let's go Hokies. Our thanks to Jonathan Fisher and his team at the Fisher Law Firm for being the sponsors of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Thanks so much for listening or watching. Whether you're listening with us live or archived, glad you could join us. We're recording on Wednesday morning, getting set for Virginia Tech's bye week. We've got Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes producing. We've got Will Stewart on set, Chris Coleman, and I'm Evan Hughes. Uh, I thought it would be cool before we get to the uh, the questions, if we kind of just quickly, uh, in a couple of minutes here, just kind of look at the ACC as a whole. Obviously, Clemson is doing Clemson things, but... The story of the ACC is probably UVA right now making a case to be the second best team in the conference. Are you buying UVA at this point in the season right now? Here's what I what I <clears throat> what I like about Virginia from what I've seen. They're tough. They're physical. Their uh, their quarterback is a gifted athlete. And uh, was that a two point conversion he ran in against? Yes. Yeah, yep. Eesh, that was. Yeah, he danced I, around like the whole part of the field. No, I put this on uh, Twitter, but it didn't get much traction. That that was very similar to what Tyrod Taylor did to Florida State in the 2010 sure championship was, game. Yeah. That little run right, run left, and skip sideways into the end zone. 
Uh, you know, that, that was, got to give the guy credit, that was a phenomenal play. But they also kept that game a little closer than it should have been. Uh, I believe there was a, a unsportsmanlike conduct called on Bronco Mendenhall. <laughs> because he, of a penalty that gave Florida State a first down. Yeah, so he, he goes nuts on the sidelines and gets an unsportsmanlike conduct. You want that coach showing emotion all the time, though, right? Mm, you know, <laughs> I know. It's, 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 it's a catch-22, yep. isn't it? Yep. And then the players made a couple of uh, big-time mistakes. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember what they were. I remember they were not smart penalties. I don't remember what UVA was doing because <laughs> what Florida State was doing was just so so egregious, like five personal fouls in one Ugh. quarter, and that yeah, was, was ugly. Wow, that so, was sort of like the it was sort of like the Miami Florida game to start the season. The yeah, yeah. Quarter. So, yeah. so anyway, I, I like how physical they are. I like that they've got a cool character quarterback. Um, I like that running back they've got. I don't remember what number he is, but he's he's a tough kid. I don't remember his name. Uh, so you know they've they've got some things that if they do things right, they could leverage that into a coastal championship. You know. Uh, Watching them play Saturday night, I watched almost all that game. They were kind of like what Virginia Tech used to be. Like I, I didn't, I didn't think their offense executed very well for the most part. Um, they did a, a lot of plays in that game. The call didn't work, and it was just Perkins scrambling around, making a play. Looks familiar. Oh uh, yeah, right. Um, and what happened was it wore Florida State out. The time of possession on that game was forty to twenty. Wow. Yeah. So UVA had the ball twice as much. So when he started breaking off those runs and they couldn't tackle him on that two-point conversion, Flores, they were gassed at that point. So they I'm were. 95% sure that I heard the game announcers say that 1995 game where, where Virginia and Florida State played each other, I swear I heard the play-by-play guy say of the 62 guys that played in that game, all of them played in the NFL. What? Now, what does played in the NFL mean? Did you make a practice squad? I, I, <laughs> Signed he said to a mini camp. Both teams? To the, to the two teams together. Wow. Hold on. I, I don't, so I don't telling know. Telling me only 62 players played in that game? You know, it's that, one of those things you hear and you're like, well, did I just hear that? Yeah. So, that, I, I, I don't so, know. So if, if you're commenting on the YouTube video or watching this and you want to come to the message boards with it, can can you back me up on that? Did I actually hear that? Because that just sounds out. That sounds outrageous. I mean, even for like an Alabama Clemson game, like you know, I mean. Well, we've seen Virginia Tech Miami games in the past. The uh, 1998 VT Miami game down in Coral Gables. You go back and watch that game, and both teams are loaded with NFL players. But nobody's ever going to say, "Yeah, the 62 guys that played in that game, all of them went to the NFL." So was Mike Grow the quarterback for UVA? Um, good question. Probably. Oh, so technically he was a Baltimore Raven in 1996. Well, there you go. I, I guess he was a... Uh, you know, they, they throw things out like that, and he played in the NFL. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Cowboy. What does that mean? Right. Did right. he get invited to a camp and then cut after three days? Right. You know, so anyway, derailed the discussion. It's, we did. Um, so, I mean, would you say is UVA the favorite to win the Coastal at this point in time? Yeah. Uh, uh, based, based on what we've seen so far, uh, I haven't... I haven't looked into it a lot, but I, I know, like, for example, in looking through Virginia Tech's uh, national rankings in some categories, I don't know if you know this or not, but Pittsburgh's offense is just in the tank. They're yeah. in Georgia Tech's Georgia Tech. Duke is Duke. That's three Duke of them. I don't, I don't know if Duke is quite Duke this year. Well, but they're not going to win the Coastal. They're not going to win the Coastal, yeah. no, no, um, no. So when, when do Miami and Virginia play each other, and where is that? I don't know, question. and I don't know. I'm betting but, it's but, in Charlottesville. Uh, you know, that that's an interesting matchup because Miami's defense is really good, and they can contain Perkins. Yeah. I would think that would be a really low-scoring game. Um, so here's the thing about UVA, and I think I might have brought this up on the podcast. If somehow Notre Dame goes into Athens and beats Georgia this weekend, uh, that's a 7-4 matchup, 7-3 matchup. And then if Virginia take cares of, takes care of business against Old Dominion, next weekend – UVA will be top 20. UVA will be in the top 20. Notre Dame will be in the top five. And UVA goes to Notre Dame. So UVA is going to have its chances down the stretch here. If they're able to pull off that win, just say the, the, the opportunities are there. The program. Right. Right. Not saying they're going to win. I would take Notre Dame in that game. But just say they're going to have the opportunity at least right. in front of them to, to climb up. But the question is, are they the favorite to win the Coastal? And they're, they're right up there. I think it's probably between them and Miami. Yeah, I wouldn't uh... – I don't don't put a lot of trust and faith in Miami. So Virginia plays Notre Dame and Miami back to back. Virginia Virginia's got a better quarterback than than Miami does. 
They're just more focused as a program. I, I, I would agree. Yeah. yeah. So Virginia goes to Notre Dame and they go to Miami in they consecutive go to Miami? weeks. They go to Miami. Uh, I would have to give and and help me out here. Miami has not lost an ACC game yet, right? No, they lost North Carolina in week two to Mac Ooh. Brown. <laughs> well, that that still doesn't change the discussion because if if Miami wins every other game and then beats Virginia, I honestly think Miami's going to win every other game. Uh, no. Well, that's a thing. <laughs> well, I, so, so by the time UVA gets to Coral Gables, they might not even okay, have to so, win to so win that, the Coastal. That game is on what date? That is on October the 11th. If, all right, if, if Virginia beats Miami on October 11th, then in my opinion, that's the Coastal Division right there. Now, there, is a, there does look like there's a bye week because they play Notre Dame on September 28th, and then their next game is October 11th. So okay. it looks like right. Virginia will have two weeks leading up to Miami. Right. So, anyways, interesting, uh, interesting discussion. But there's no doubt that the – favorite in the ACC I mean it's Clemson so yeah yeah Yeah, yeah, for sure so um well listen let's do it uh let's throw it over to our main man uh Malcolm yes he's related Stuart behind the scenes doing a fantastic job as always producing the Tech Sideline podcast Malcolm how's it going over there what's happening not bad there are a ton of questions oh gosh and we've already gone what close to an hour yeah we're just about an hour right now wow so the pressure's on Malcolm to pick the best two or three and then let's (laughs) let's get out of here and I've got a math test yeah, yeah Matt, that's, um, <laughs> um, question I have seen this it was on Monday and it's getting asked again today there are rumors about Damon Hazelton leaving or he's in Fuente's doghouse There's yeah so those rumors it. are circulating that it's not an injury thing that Damon's in the doghouse and I don't know we were told by people who saw practice in August that he was he was had an injured hamstring then yeah so I mean there's there's no way to know See, that's uh, what happens when you start not looking great as a program. People question every single And there's an element thing. of the fan base that wants to bring out everything negative. This may wind up being true or not true. I don't think the transfer portal thing makes any sense, although I guess he could go as a grad transfer somewhere. Um, I don't even remember what year he is. Well, he's a redshirt junior. He hasn't graduated yet. Right. Yeah. So he could graduate. He conceivably could graduate in, in December. But clearly – But, I mean, I, I don't know, and that's not – I'm not going to speculate on that because yeah. there's there's just no way – no way to know. Um, and, and he'd, he'd have to really be in the doghouse for them to not be playing him in, in this situation with the offense. That's your leading receiver. Yeah, and and, and that's the that's I thought that was the weird thing about Kuma going into the transfer portal was he was getting targeted a lot, right? You know, and and if Hazleton plays, he gets thrown to a lot, and that's not everything to happiness as a player. There's more than just playing time and. But that's a big part of it, especially for receivers, you know. So, and and the fact of the matter is, we here at Tech Sideline, um, we just don't get into rumor mongering. You know, some of them turn out to be true, some of them turn out to be not true. If if you sit there and and you address and talk about the rumor of the day, and it doesn't come true, then you look like an idiot. You know, and yeah. I just I don't want to get into. You that. know, and Fuente's gone into too much detail about that injury for it yeah. not to be hurt. If he, you know, if Fuente wanted to hide something, he would just be like, "Oh yeah, he's hurt. He can't play." He actually went into great detail about, "Oh, he he's he played. He practiced the day after the BC game and looked really good." And I told him that. And that's a whole lot of detail to so make up something. So that's our story, and we're about, sticking to it. Yep. Yeah. Right. What else you got? Uh, do you think we can keep players from transferring if we went five and seven, or just in general if we have a bad season, like if we lose to UVA, don't make a bowl game? Uh, I mean, every. Every, every program is going to have players transfer in the offseason, whether they're ten and two or five and seven. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, here's another thing: by by not redshirting guys, you make it easier for them to transfer because they can use their sit out year as a redshirt. That's another <laughs> downside of not redshirting players. Devious. Gosh. Yeah. So it get, it got repeated a couple of times during one of Tech's recent games that uh, that this past year Tech had the second most players enter the transfer portal in the nation behind. Uh, Louisville so I would I would advise Virginia Tech fans we get myopic following our own team and if three guys say they're going to transfer out in a week you freak out what does it look like relative to the rest of college football uh, how many you know clearly last year you know when you have the second most players enter the transfer portal you're you're a little different well if five guys enter the transfer portal this year just throwing a number out where does that rank it, it, it seems like a lot to you, but is it truly a lot? Because the portal has changed things, and this will continue to evolve. Mm-hmm. I think players are quick to jump in the portal right now, 
I think two or three years down the road, they'll start to think twice about it before they do it. Um, you would like to think so anyway. So. Uh, I mean, Washington's lost like three quarterbacks since the spring to the portal. Three quarterbacks. Just quarterbacks. Wouldn't you be going a little bit bananas if you were a Washington fan? Right. You know, so to keep it, you know, chill out and pay attention to what's going on everywhere. All right. We got one time for one more, Malcolm. Any more? Is that about it? Uh, let me see. There was one. I need to find it. Uh, do you think kills higher can help the offensive game at all? It can't well, hurt. We, we kind of address that. Right? Yeah, it, it can help the running game. It, it can help the running game. It can help the running game if we get back key players in the running game, some key offensive linemen. And Kashawn King stays healthy. And Kashawn King stays healthy. Uh, if they continue to have three freshman offensive linemen plus two sophomores blocking for a freshman, and then a freshman blocking in the slot and a freshman blocking on the outside at wide receiver, then doesn't like I said, all the Jerry kills in the world aren't going to help that. Sure. Right. Yeah. And, and I, th- I think there's no question that the Virginia Tech coaching staff knows the passing game inside and out. I think they're, they're a good staff when it comes to the passing game. Maybe the running game is just a blind spot of theirs. You know, if, if you want to go further back in time, when Virginia Tech under Frank Beamer really wanted to run the football, they generally would make their minds up and, and they would do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I was ever impressed with the Virginia Tech passing right, game under right, Frank sure. Beamer. You know, so, uh, yeah, there's a possibility Kill could help if, it, he, if he brings some observations to the table. It, it's not often that you actually see a team or a coaching or a coaching staff that is like an expert in everything yeah. in football. Yeah. So. Great questions, as always. Thanks so much to our viewers on Facebook for dropping those questions. And that's going to just about do it. We ran over a little bit an hour today. I know you guys have some uh, work to get done because – the grind does not stop here at TSL. Uh, i got to figure out how to be productive <laughs> with this. You might be on Facebook Live just 9 to 5. Every I, day. I, you know, I actually in. had my uh, – I hurt my left hand weight, lifting weights yesterday, so I had it in a brace yesterday. And then, and then you, you texted a picture of that last night, and I'm like, I'm not going to wear my brace to work in tomorrow because it's going to make us really look bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> both both of TSL's writers are down for the count. I guess wow. left-hand injuries, though, are the, it's the fifth metatarsal of – yeah, these back. are phalanges, and, and it's funny because my daughter, who's a uh, senior in high school, she took an anatomy class last year, and, and I said, it's, I pointed, and I said, it's that bone right there, and she said something like, I think that's called the proxima phalange. She's right. Yeah, I took an anatomy class. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Sounds right. like, I think I'm she's like, right about that. And she said something about the, the, the bone at the end is something that this uh, like proxima, clearly proximity to the, to the rest of the hand, and, yep. and the one down at the end has a... You know, I can't remember the the phrase, but it's like, oh, that's because it's furthest away from the hand. See, doctors got it easy, man. Everything makes <laughs> sense. Well, well, I know. We, I really hope that you're you're you feel better. And well, I'm going to see too. a hand surgeon in Roanoke on uh, Thursday, so we'll see what he says. And here's another thirty to forty five minute podcast that has lasted an hour and. Whatever. 10 minutes. Yep. <laughs> uh, coming up on TSL this week, get your Friday Q and A, uh, and absolutely a Friday Q and A. Have a Brandon Patterson article coming later today. And some Jason Stam recruiting articles. There you have it. Let's uh, let's wrap things up uh, for our producer behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart, our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder, our head honcho, Will Stewart. My name is Evan Hughes saying so long. Thanks so much for joining us on the Tech Sideline podcast presented each and every week by the Fisher Law Firm. Hope you can join us Monday morning around 930. We'll be getting a set for Duke and what is going on around Virginia Tech football. Again, this has been the Tech Sideline podcast. Have a great week, everybody.